Welcome to our Saturday simulcast. Gosh, only 12 days to go, too. I think it is, for, if we're counting right, for the Purdue's first football game. 11 days to go for our sponsor, for Tom Deanhart and myself, to be at uh, Facebook Live uh, Wednesday night, August 31st, at the Union Club uh, Boiler Up Bar. We'll be looking forward to shedding. I don't know how much more wisdom Tom can impart on Purdue-Penn State by that time, but we're going to do our best and have some fun with that as well. So we'll look forward to that appearance uh, we appreciate the Union Club as a sponsor. Make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't already. You can even send a nice comment about Brian or Tom or whatever, or even me. Uh, we appreciate that as well if you take the time to do that. All right, uh, we'll start, Tom, with you. Uh, a little bit of a, you know, no media access this week. You're obviously having a chance to talk to coaches and players after practice which kind of makes it quieter, I guess, at least in my world. But, uh, uh, you know, as you as you go into this uh, last scrimmage, et cetera, what are some of the questions that uh, you start to look at here in this last uh, period of time heading into? I know you've talked about this, the secondary and some questions there, but what else, uh, what else is top of mind awareness for you as we start to get closer to that Penn State game? Uh, yeah, I guess you want to keep everybody healthy, right? That was a big storyline. The first week of camp, losing Garrett Miller and uh, Demar J. Lewis to season-ending injuries. So uh, nothing appeared to have happened last week, so the team remains healthy. And you talked about, you know, the cornerback spot. That's one they're trying to slowly get back Corey Trice and Jamari Brown. Looks like they're making progress. Um, Trice with his knee and Brown with his hip. Uh, I expect them to be ready for the opener. And uh sounds like they're getting more work in practice and team situations. And wide receiver, too, with Brock Thompson in particular being a guy who hasn't seen a lot of action uh, as he continues to come back from having titanium rods inserted in each shin. So uh he's a guy, you know, everybody seems to say all the right stuff about him. He's going to be ready. uh uh, he didn't participate in the spring scrimmage last Saturday. Um, not sure about his uh, activity this week, but that's a guy I think Purdue needs. That's a guy I think with a chance maybe to be the number one wide, wide receiver. You know, when you distill it all down, Brian, and and obviously watch, reading and looking at Tom's coverage, et cetera, that uh, uh, what questions do you sit there looking at, looking at that from your perspective heading into that uh, last stretch run before opening night on Thursday, August, September 1st? Yeah, I think they've, I mean, I think I've said this before a couple of Purdue seasons, but I think they've got to, you know, be able to generate big plays offensively and you know, I think that's where Garrett Miller hurts you a little bit because I think that two tight end set playing off of Payne Durham with one of your best athletes on your team being Garrett Miller, I think that's a big deal. Uh, the wide receivers, you know, not having that David Bell, not having that Rondell Moore that we know of at this point. I mean, for all we know, somebody might uh, fall out of the sky here and become, you know, like what Anthony Mahangu became on the fly a couple of years ago when he just <laughs> overnight kind of turned into Calvin Johnson. Um, you know, I think that's, kind of my big question again i'm not at practice so i don't know i don't know perhaps somebody out there is doing that as we speak but i think you know it's when you're when your best player and your best chance is your quarterback throwing the ball up the field um a lot you know you want to um make sure you're maximizing his value by having 
um, you know, that player who can go get you 30 yards, you know, um, every now and then. And uh, especially when, you know, this is an offense that's built to make big plays. I think Purdue historically has probably worked on downfield passing probably more than any um, any program in, in America. I, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to, you know, sustain drives uh, as well as they're going to be able to score when they're able to make those big chunk plays. So that's kind of my big question. Uh, that, it, that has been all of camp, all of offseason, you know, whatever it may be, you know, who are kind of those big play guys. You know, Tom, you start and you'll be looking a lot closer to Penn State as we get closer to game day. I think you had an interesting, and I hadn't really thought about it, a battle of two six-year quarterbacks. Uh, but is it, you know, you talked, I've talked, written a lot about the secondary, and, and again, because Brown and Trice haven't practiced, I don't know if that's a big deal or practice as much, but is it as simple as Purdue, you know, if, if anything is simple about that season opener, slowing down Penn State's passing game and not giving up big plays defensively, is that one of the key things you're looking for? But are, are, are there other storylines as you look at this game 12 days out? Yeah, I think that that'll be a key one. Um, Penn State's strength on defense is its secondary. Very good secondary. So that's going to be a fun matchup watching that secondary match up with Purdue's receiving core, <clears throat> which we all know is really, as Brian said, uh, is in search of some playmakers, some big playmakers, if you will. Uh, Purdue's going to do what Purdue does. You know, as Brian said, they're going to throw the ball downfield, even if that is a strength of the Penn State defense. Um, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see, again, how this thing evolves for Purdue at the receiver spot. There is no shortage of, of I think, intriguing guys with that potential. You no, know, uh, we talk about Brock Thompson, T.J. Sheffield, and Tyrone Tracy, I think, will be your slot guys. I think Charlie Jones will be another guy on the outside. That's a pretty good foursome right there, I think, probably at the top of the pecking order. Uh, Abdur Rahman Yassin and Mershon Rice, I think, lurk right there as well. And a uh, couple camp stars, the Auburn transfer, Elijah Canyon and uh, Colin Sullivan. And the two redshirt freshmen, Deion Burks is a guy whose name seems to come up a lot. Number four, watch him. To a lesser extent, Preston Terrell. So there's that's a pretty good raft of wideouts uh, for the for the staff to try to uh, coach up and evolve here. Going against, like I said, what's going to be a strong Penn State secondary. Now, on the other side uh, of the ball, the Penn State offense guys really struggled to run. They really had issues on their offensive line for almost the entire James Franklin tenure. They really struggled last year to run the ball. That's going to be a point of emphasis for this offense, I think. You know, I think if we call anticipate Purdue probably stacking the box, and and I know Sean Clifford's a veteran, but still, man, uh, don't let Penn State get any confidence, any momentum running the football. Try to continue to make their their life miserable in that in that aspect, and get after Clifford, maybe get some turnovers. So it'll be a fun chess match right out of the box. Uh, matching two pretty pretty good coaches and James Franklin and Jeff Brom. 
Yeah, it's a lot written, some things written at least early on about Penn State's uh, got some newcomers at running back that they're hoping to really get that running game going because it has not been good. You know, the interesting thing, Brian, and we always, starts of seasons, uh, James Franklin uh, always have some have some intrigue about where coaching and programs are going. Penn State, obviously a very proud program. It's been successful under James Franklin, but not in the last two years, uh, seven and six last year. Uh Purdue will be motivated in front of a home crowd. Penn State's got a little bit of the back against the wall feeling to it. I don't know if that's fair because COVID and everything else has changed things up. But James Franklin what needs has a lot to prove, I would think, uh, heading into Ross Aid Stadium. Yeah, but he the way things go with James Franklin, he can go two and zero, and he'll his name will be thrown out there for every high end job that's. <laughs> that, that ends up opening up and he'll get another five million bucks um in renegotiation per year or something like that now that the big tents TV money's come through. It's just um you know, like what Tom just said, they struggle to run the ball. There's no reason Penn State should ever struggle to run the ball. You have access to the best running back recruits, you know, out there. You have access to the best offensive line recruits out there. There's no reason Penn State should ever ever struggle to run the football. Um, it's kind of one of those programs that, you know, should consistently go something much better than seven and six. And so I'm not really sure what the deal is there. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got to, they've got to, uh, you know, get this thing righted uh, to a certain extent because seven and six is not what Penn state ever has in mind. Um, I think, uh, you know, it, it's got to start now because I think that seven and six at Penn State's not good enough. And if they keep going, you know, something close to that seven, eight win range, you know, people start to grumble a little bit, no matter how, uh, no matter how Teflon um, James Franklin tends to be, you know, I think that um um, they've got to get turned around, uh, and I think it's got to start now. I mean, I think if you come to if you come to Purdue and you lose that opener, you set a bad tone for your season. Um, it's not what they need. Uh, so I think this is a really big game for them, just like it's kind of a really big big game for Purdue. Uh, I, I think for both teams, this is the sort of game that can, you know, sort of springboard you to programs that you know maybe aren't in the exact same position, but they're in a similar position in terms of needing this win. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, yeah. is eleven and eleven in the last two years aggregate. Mm -hmm. James Franklin, for some reason, got a big contract extension in November from outgoing AD Sandy Barber. So there's a new boss for Franklin now. But again, he had the new deal. I'm told though that the buyout for that new deal is not that big. There was a lot of talk that he wanted the USC job last year, didn't get it. Of course, Lincoln Riley got it. And to really get ahead of myself, I mean, the guy it sounds like Penn State would love to get, if you talk to media there, is Matt Rule, mm -hmm. the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, who's a Penn State guy. And, of course, Matt Rule's kind of been on the hot seat in Carolina. So that's just something long-term for everybody to keep on their radar. I think Penn, I think James Franklin may have sort of ran his course at State College. Um, I don't think anybody on either side would shed a tear if they made a change. So it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. And they got a big game on Auburn this year too, guys, the non-conference. 
Uh, well, you look at you, yeah, you look at how their how their season started out last year. You know, they start out five and zero, and after the disappointing COVID year, um, things look great. But then they lose that game at Iowa, was it? And uh, of course, that set Purdue up well because uh, Purdue was able to beat the number two Hawkeyes after that. But yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's it is interesting that uh, uh, Penn State has a tradition, and both of you have said well that uh, this this program should win and should win big based on the access that it has. But, you know, this, this game in Ross-Age Stadium is just, it's got so many storylines and uh, the least of which, you know, Brian, we've seen this before and we've all seen this before 2018 to some extent to uh, Purdue Northwestern. Uh, and of course, Rondale Moore's breakout game, but that Thursday night game, that blackout game, uh, and I know Purdue has come through at home, obviously, against Ohio State in 18, and obviously last year's wins uh, against Michigan State and et cetera. But this is a, this is a huge home, a huge opportunity for a springboard for Purdue and what will be, uh, a, a raucous crowd, one would think. Yeah. I mean, you're, you set yourself up pretty good. Uh, last year uh, for success this year. I mean, what people I think have to remember is that this is largely the same Purdue team that beat Tennessee in in the bowl game. It's this Purdue team should have every reason in the world to think that they can be very very competitive this year um, because they don't have David Bell, they don't have George Karloftis, they don't have Milton Wright, but they didn't have any of those guys to end last season either, and they still won a pretty epic game against Tennessee against a really talented Tennessee team, even if m- perhaps they had a couple guys sitting out too. Um, the schedule sets up well. If you can get through Penn State, which even though they were only a seven-win team last year, um, Penn State's still Penn State. If you can get through that one, you know, you have you have a chance to, you know, do some really positive things this season. So this is p- kind of what, you know, they talked about in 2018 where that Northwestern game could be a real springboard for them in what was a really, really big-time environment for Purdue. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they didn't get that Northwestern win. Um, they still went on to have a pretty solid, pretty memorable season. Um, this one I think would be different because I think you're a little bit more of a known commodity as a team because you've got your quarterback back, but you also have a schedule where if you get this one, you know, uh, there are, uh, things look pretty favorable for you. Or better said, if you show you can win a game like this, you look at that schedule moving forward and you say, okay, if they can beat Penn State in a game Penn State had to have as much as Purdue had to have, they if they can rise to the occasion in that sort of situation, if they can prove they're good enough to win that game, I don't know if I look at this schedule and see a game they can't win. Um, now, I'm sure there's going to be some really difficult games, but um, who's ranked on, on Purdue's – uh, schedule right now. I think, and just, I think it's Wisconsin, maybe. I think that's it. Yeah, I think it's How Wisconsin. many seasons have there been in the modern history of Purdue football where you've gotten into a season with that few yeah. ranked opponents? And I understand preseason rankings are what they are. They they only tell you so much. Um, no one has had a chance yet to earn or unearn, disearn. Uh, what would the word be there? Their preseason <laughs> rankings. Um but nevertheless, that tells you kind of the, the 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 transition period, you know, sort of produce schedules in here and mm-hmm. what sort of opportunity that might that might present. On paper, you could say Purdue's just as good as anybody on their schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's largely because you have that you have that quarterback back, you have a defense that, that made real strides last season. 
you know, things like that. So if you're able to get this one, I think, you know, things look pretty favorable for you to have at least a very, very solid season, if not a really, really good one. Yeah, and Tom, to your point, 18th is Wisconsin's ranked preseason AP. That is the lone uh, ranked uh, opponent that the Boilermakers will be facing, at least in the preseason rankings. Tom, one thing we haven't talked about, and you've written about a little bit, but just uh, your overall feelings. One of the things, you know, game one is always a can be an adventure or can be a, an extra a premium on special teams. Obviously, Mitch Finneran's coming back. Uh, Purdue's got, uh, you know, we talked about Charlie Jones in the return game, but any any other uh, insights into the Purdue special teams? Because obviously that will play an important role uh, come Thursday night, uh, that Thursday night game against the Nittany Lions. I think it could be, uh, at least from a kicking standpoint and a return standpoint, very good, right? I know there's questions about Jack Ansel, and he needs to, I guess, step up, if you will, <clears throat> after a I guess, an inconsistent debut last year. He said all the right things this last week when we talked to him. And special teams coach Carl Mislowski seems like a, a great guy. He seems like he's very well respected among the players. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, you know, Finneran, Ansel, then you factor in Charlie Jones, Big Ten return man of the year last year, guys. He's going to, of course, bring back punts and kickoffs. And you know, Purdue also has Reese Taylor that can do it. He was an All-Big Ten kickoff return man at, at Indiana a few years back. Uh, Deion Burke's name gets mentioned as a possibility. They've got some explosive players back there. But that's going to be Charlie Jones' show, guys. Purdue's most electric return man since Rondell Moore in 2018, a guy who can maybe win a game for you this year. Sets you up with some short fields just generate a lot of excitement. Carl Mislowski said he's just fearless. You know, he takes chances. He's a lot faster than you think, too. He's going to be a real fun guy to watch this year. I hope I'm not overhyping him, but he could be their, their – some people have whispered to me he's their best receiver, and uh, we, all, you know, we know about his return skills. So he's going to be a real X factor. That could be a difference maker for the team on a lot of different ways. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm encouraged by special teams, guys. And in a game like this opener, I know it's the first time you're going live, crazy things can happen, but I like Purdue's chances for success, maybe to avoid any big blunders in that area. And, again, you guys watch a lot of football. Sometimes uh, playing special teams can, can end up being the determining factor here. And to Brian's point about that schedule, boy, 4-0 in September uh, would set you up great. Because I think, to me, guys, October is going to be the make-or-break month there. It's not a real big revelation, but – I believe three of the four games are on the road. You open at Minnesota. I think you go to Maryland. You come home and play Nebraska, and then you close the month at Wisconsin. Then you have a bye week. So, boy, you'd love to go into October. 4-0 would be great. 3-1, still, uh, that would be the month that determines, I think, really how great this 2022 season is. I was going to say, Brian was almost in. Yeah, a teenager the last time Purdue had a punt return for a touchdown, if my memory is right. Yes, and, no, no, no. Anthony Chambers did. Yeah. Yeah, 2000, but that's 2003. I'm, I'm being a little no, I think it's been, I think How it's old do you think I am? <laughs> no, because Chambers, I think Chambers was against Iowa in 2003, I think is the last one. No, uh, I've, got, I've got it. I've, I've, that's not it. Yeah, am I missing something? But uh, uh, the last time they had a punt return. Was the teenager? Yeah, no, no. 
<laughs> well, Mostert, Mostert had kick returns that they had, but they didn't have. They, I think their last punt return. I, check me wrong. I, I may be wrong on that one, but it's been a while, and that uh, that is uh, is a factor that uh, uh, will be interesting to see with Charlie Jones, etc. Pretty well have a here, here it is record. right here. The last punt return for a TD was two thousand nine. Aaron Valentine. Oh, that's right. Valentine, that's right. Who was that again? Kickoff. The last kickoff for a touchdown was 2013. Akeem Hunt. Okay, and when was uh, who did who did Valentine do that against? I have no idea. Oh, okay. I just didn't know. I can't I've just, remember. I've just written that about a hundred times this off season. Yeah. Uh, so I knew I could uh, find it, but yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. You know, two guys. Uh, there's some fun coaching storylines here, right? Penn State is where Anthony Poindexter coaches, the former Boilermaker assistant. Of course, Taylor Stubblefield is on the staff and state college PA as well. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Those guys, I guess, are, are coming home, if you will, at least for one night. And uh, Penn State's got a new defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, former Miami head coach, too, who I'm told is going to play a very aggressive brand of defense. So, again, uh, sort of some undercurrent or underlying Penn State staff storylines that add a little bit more intrigue to this game. All right, we just have a couple of minutes left, and it's, it is a big topic. It could be its own show, but uh, and we hit it a little bit last week with the because we nothing really was all that surprising about the Big Ten media rights, uh, even the dollar figure uh, at a billion dollars. But CBS, NBC, and Fox will be the the stations of choice, uh, the primary ones in 2023. Brian, just your overriding comments, uh, and I'll get. Go to Tom as well in terms of uh, you know a billion dollars, but they seven billion like dollars. What's yeah a seven billion, billion dollars for, a seven year. Year, for seven years? For seven but, years, uh, but but uh, roughly. But it was interesting because they also quoted at eight hundred or eighty million per team. Uh, and I don't know if the math. I think it sounds like that billion a year is kind of a minimum that they're going to get a guaranteed part. But uh, anyway, what uh, what uh, anything that surprised you in that deal? Uh, in terms of uh, finally it coming down from Kevin Warren and company? Not really. Um, I mean, we knew it was going to be lucrative. Uh, it came, It became pretty apparent it was going to be pretty multifaceted in terms of the number of platforms involved here. But it just goes to show you, you know, sort of emerging technologies and, you know, how mm-hmm. coveted live sports is nowadays. You know, I understand That's college right. football is a big deal, but college football is not a huge deal all over the country and these were national national um platforms you know bidding like crazy you know for big 10 football now here in the midwest ohio state and michigan are an enormous deal and whatnot um but this touches everywhere that this puts the big 10 in cordelline idaho this puts the big 10 in in you know um sacramento california this puts puts the big 10 in in hackensack new jersey shout out to hackensack new jersey um (laughs) all over the place places that aren't you know big 10 big 10 places um there's a a really big deal from an exposure perspective for the big 10 it's a really big deal for the schools involved given that you know best i can tell you know purdue's last media rights payout from the big 10 was in the ballpark of 36 million dollars this is going to least double that i would have to think um what these schools are going to do with all this money i have no idea um but i'm sure they'll figure it out um but it is a really big deal from a financial perspective it's a really big deal from an exposure perspective um 
it's a better deal for football than I think it is for basketball. Um, you know, I think basketball, you're going to be um, asking a lot of people to go to some streaming platforms, um, you know, to a certain extent, I think, I think NBC and, 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 you know, whatnot do a, a really nice job with some of their secondary sports that people don't necessarily recognize hockey and, and soccer. Um, what they're able to do with college basketball, I think is going to be interesting. Um, but ESPN, you know, for basketball was so comfortable to a lot of people and just such a, um, you know, such a known commodity that I think that um, it, it's going to be an adjustment in basketball, but football drives this and football money drives everything. And um, I think this is, this is a really big deal for the big 10 uh, and one, the sec is going to be, you know, hard pressed to hard pressed to match. Um, I think the big 10 got a big leg up in this cold war going on right now with this media rights deal. I just don't Tom, understand. Tom, last I, word, go I, ahead. I just don't understand. Why don't the big 10 and the sec just say, look, let's just come together. That's just why, why are we doing this? Let's just come. What, what would it be worth if they're all together in one league and they all negotiated one big TV package together? I just don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, it just, the NFL has already laid out a template for them. I don't know. We're probably going to get there. I, I just don't know why we're going through these machinations with, with some of this, this uh, one upsmanship and we're all in this together, aren't we? I, I don't understand. Um, it's like AFL, NFL, to use a real dated reference. I mean, yeah. Look what happened when they merged. Boy, look at the NFL today. Boy, I, don't, I just don't understand it. And you know why? You know how I feel about the NIL stuff and just the crazy loops they're they're trying to pay guys. And it's, again, I don't want to get off on that rant again. But well, they're I not just, trying to pay guys. That they're they're they're, they're they're succeeding to pay guys. There's no they're, the, 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 NI, the NIL money, like I said, is for like Jalen Graham trying to make five hundred bucks selling T-shirts. That's NIL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, there's nobody walking on campus with a million dollars, but guys are getting a million dollars. Anyway, um, out of Purdue, out of Purdue. I know, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, one other, I guess the the one of the takeaways people had was the Big Ten has basically said they're still open for business from an expansion standpoint. I guess that's not a big shock, right? Uh, seven years, I thought was a little obviously, I guess, surprise a seven year deal. You always hear how people like to keep these things short so they go back to market quickly. I'm far from a TV expert, but I'm sure someone pointed out to me there's language in there to allow yeah. for, hey, if we do add teams, we can come back to the table and adjust this thing. So it sounds like, guys, if you're like me, you listen to other national people and read stories that, again, we're headed probably towards, what, a 20 or 22-team Big Ten and SEC at some point here. When, I don't know. And, of course, against that storyline, there's the backdrop of, the sport breaking away from the NCAA governance. How's that going to look? How's that going to impact things? I mean, you get you get just talking about this and your mind gets going. You think about a, about 100 things, don't you? And uh, just a sport that I'm not going to call it chaos, but it's sort of chaotic uh, with, with, uh, with all that's going on right now, trying to get your arms around the sport and where it's headed, I guess, is what I'm trying to say and what it's going to look like on many different levels. Um, Again, um, I just wish we could fast forward and get there now and just get the players unionized, collectively bargain with them, come up with salary caps, everybody get together in one big league, set up divisions, and off and away we go because who does it better than the NFL? I mean, I just don't understand this 
this this battle it doesn't need to be a battle it's it's, it's weird yeah well one thing's for sure or seems certain and no if no matter what happens it seems like it does give purdue and some you know a, because of the seven-year contract some time not time but you know what what how this all will settle you, you've at least got uh, yourself in a situation if the leagues change if teams change out of leagues uh one would think that the big 10 is heading in a direction of keeping uh its, it's members uh, involved and that's what's going to be that's what's a, what's you guys do you, you guys follow um john willner at all who covers the pac 12 yeah he had <laughs> he had a scenario where the big 10 was still going to try to get texas yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. I mean it's crazy. I I I, I would say anything is probably possible. Who knows? But uh, yeah. you said Texas is still always more aligned with the Big Ten on a lot of levels as an institution too, and athletically. I don't know. It, it's interesting to see where this will all go. Um, like I said, it's going to be a it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's a soap opera that continues to play out before our very eyes. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to put this to, to this show. We just uh, we came up with more questions and answers at the end of this, but that's kind of the way the nature of college college sports these days. All right, we thank our sponsors, the Union Club Hotel. A reminder that uh, Tom will talk all NIL and expansion at, on Facebook Live on Wednesday, August thirty first, seven p.m. at the uh, at the Boiler Up Bar, and uh, we'll look forward to doing that. And we want to thank our uh, the Union Club for. Uh, its sponsorship of this. We're really looking forward to the start of the season. We want to also remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, leave us a comment, uh, only if it's positive, but uh, we'd appreciate that too. So guys, have a great uh, rest of the weekend. We appreciate all of you for watching and listening to our fine show. We get a lot of positive comments on them. We appreciate that as well. So have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll look forward to uh, next week. There'll be more of the same. It'll be just Tom and Brian together, but uh, they'll be getting this down and maybe arguing about what, what the future of college sports is. Have a great week, everybody.